All right, welcome to the Q&A for Surveillance Report 145. Again, these questions come from our amazing patrons who are supporting us every month and are keeping our normal Surveillance Report podcast free for everybody. You're all amazing. So if you want to ask us any questions, the place to do that is at patreon.com slash surveillance pod. There will be a link down below and you can be a part of that awesome group and support uh, privacy and security for everybody, which is awesome. So the first question comes from Mr. Camel 999 and uh, his question is, what are your all, y'all opinions on Lemmy currently? I've been enjoying it thus far, but I'm curious as to your thoughts. Um, on my end, I've only ever loaded just a few Lemmy communities. I don't have an account, nor have I created an account. Uh, for those who don't know, Lemmy is a decentralized federated. No, it's, it's a federated Reddit alternative. So you can have communities, and it's federated. It integrates with Mastodon and other things. Uh that are using ActivityPub, and so it's really cool on paper. Um, I just feel like my initial impressions, I don't have a reason to sign up for it. I already hate having a Reddit account. I don't like many of these social media accounts in general, so I personally just haven't had a reason to open one and play with it yet, but I think you've toyed with it a little bit more, so you're a better person to to ask this. Actually, I haven't. Um, So we... Oh, they're not going to like this. Um, so we did – I ran a poll on Mastodon that was like, hey, should I dabble in, in Lemmy? And the overwhelming answer was yes. So I tried to dabble, and they're going to be mad at me for saying this, but their documentation is absolute garbage. Like there's two ways to install it. There's Docker and there's Ansible. And personally, I don't like Docker for a lot of reasons. If it works for you guys, cool. It works. More power to you. I don't like Docker. So I tried to use Ansible, but the Ansible one, they make such a big point of saying like, do not install this on the server, install it on your local machine. But then I couldn't finish the last step because the last step is looking for Ansible. And I couldn't figure out like, well, so am I supposed to like do everything on my local machine and like transfer it to the server or like what is going on here? And I asked like 10 different people and I even went to like their chat room. I went to their subreddit. I could not find any answers. And actually when I went to their subreddit was when I found other people like, yeah, their documentation is outdated. It's incomplete. It's very confusing. And there were even multiple people who were like the Docker install failed. How the hell does a Docker install fail? So it just, the more I dug into it, trying to fix this problem, the more I was just like, wow, I am way out of my league because unfortunately I'm actually not that good at self-hosting. I like, I don't know a lot compared to most people who do self-hosting. So it's kind of like, if I get into this, I'm just going to put so much more headache and work on my plate. And I don't want to do that. Um, so from a running it perspective, never got it off the ground. Just realized this was not something I was willing to do. Um, from a usage perspective, I'm actually in the same boat as you. I haven't really used it a lot. I've definitely visited it. I've looked at some of the posts and I mean, it looks pretty good. Like visually it looks fine. Um, I know privacy guides, I follow them on Lemmy and they seem to have a reasonably active community. Um, there's posts in there like every day or every couple of days. Um, I don't know. It just, I I'm in the same boat as you, like nothing has really prompted me to be like, wow, I should really sign up for this. Um, which is probably making me part of the problem. And I apologize. There was one post I saw somebody make on the privacy guides, Lemmy that I was actually like, ooh, I want to weigh in on this. So I went and found them through Mastodon, and it was just like an empty Mastodon profile. And I think what I had to do was follow it, and then posts would start showing up. But it's like, well, that doesn't help me if the post that I want to comment on has already been made. So basically, I couldn't contribute to the community. And yeah, I just like you, I, I don't really feel like signing up for a new account just in general. I try not to sign up for accounts unless I really need them. So um 
I don't know. I actually, I really used to be at one point I was like a Reddit power user the years and years ago. Like I really do like Reddit as a concept. So I think if you're looking for something like that, but not Reddit for many, many reasons, then I think Lemmy's a really good option. I definitely have nothing against it from the user perspective, but it's just not something I've really felt compelled to join or mess with myself. All right. And we only had two questions this week. Our second one comes from David J who says, this is kind of a long one, so bear with us. Actually, you know what? We'll we'll break it down step by step. What mobile carrier or carriers within the US would you recommend in terms of privacy and security? And how would you approach assessing and comparing them? What attributes would you focus on in the process? So uh, just to kind of add more to that, he says, you have mentioned Mint Mobile in the past. What separates them in terms of privacy and security from the rest of the MVNOs, of which the US seems to have a very large number, is, excuse me, is there a general technological or institutional reason why MVNOs would be superior to AT&T, Verizon, or T-Mobile in terms of privacy and security? So- kind of starting with that. In terms of privacy, I think pretty much all the carriers are the same. Um, They're all collecting data. They're all selling that data. And they're all, and I mean, this is, this is OS agnostic. It doesn't matter if you're on iOS, Android, Calyx, uh, Linux, some, you know, PinePhone, something I've never heard of. They're all going to ping cell towers. Your regular SMS messages are going to go through those towers. They're going to be collected by the carrier. They're going to be retained for a certain number of years. For security, um, I wish I knew the episode. I'm sorry. I don't darknet diaries once interviewed somebody who was very active in the whole SIM swapping scene. And he said that Verizon was the most valuable, like money wise, they were the most valuable one to SIM swap because their security was above average for the rest of them. And therefore was harder to SIM swap. Like apparently their tactic for SIM swapping was go into the store distract the associate, steal the tablet that the associate uses while it's unlocked and literally run away and just start stealing SIM cards before they realize it's stolen and lock everything down. Like apparently Verizon is pretty good about their security. Are they perfect? No, for the record, of course not. And then just real quick to touch on it. The reason Mint Mobile gets it gets um, recommended in the privacy community a lot is because at this time, and this may change because they just sold to T-Mobile, at this time they don't require any user data to sign up. So they don't require like a real name. They don't require an email address. They don't require like, you know, a real credit card. You can use like a privacy.com card. So, I mean, they're still going to get all that same location data. And obviously they're going to have your real SIM phone number, but it's very easy to set up an account with them. And it's also very cheap. You know, it's like 10 bucks a month. They're not, I I think that's why a lot of privacy people tend to lead towards MVM, MVNOs is because they're just cheap and they don't require a lot of data. Um, before I move on, do you have anything to add to those parts? Not really there. I think people just need to remember that these cell carriers, like you said, all collect the same thing. It's just a matter of um, eliminating the verified identity that, that goes along with it, which they could still, in theory, grab. But at least you're not registering it to your social security number, which is what a lot of times you have to do when you go through Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile. You really only need to provide your social if you're buying a phone on credit or like opening a contract. Because like Verizon, for example... They do have an unlimited plan that's like 40 bucks a month, which granted is still higher than like Mint Mobile or Visible, but you don't have to hand over any personal data and it's like unlimited everything. It's just you pay as you go. It's 40 bucks a month. And of course they don't advertise that because they want you to sign up for buy the new iPhone 15 triple pro max plus S whatever. And you know, for $20,000 paid over five years, give us your social security number moving on, actually touching on that. So the next part, it says, is there a general technological or institutional reason why MVNOs would be superior to AT&T, Verizon and T-Mobile in terms of privacy and security? It may seem like the big three have more resources to devote to improve security. 
at the same time, unlike, say, Apple, Google, and Microsoft, they appear to come from old phone companies that have been protected by the government from competition for much of the 20th century. Thus, as a result, they appear to have inherited a rather stagnant mindset and a culture that is now in no hurry to adopt new technologies or discard outdated and vulnerable ones. That is, judging by the news of data breaches and SIM swaps they've suffered. So, yeah, you kind of hit it on the head. Um, and, and kind of just going back to what I said, is there a general inst- technological or institutional reason why MVNOs would be superior? Because they don't require data. If you have the phone and you get a prepaid plan, they never, in my experience, they've never verified the data and they tend to be cheaper. And at that point, it's kind of like, I mean, obviously it depends on your threat model and exactly what data is leaked. But for the most part, like it doesn't matter if they're leaked because especially if you're like me, I never use the SIM card for anything. So they're not going to get any text messages. They're not going to get any phone calls. They're not going to get a name. They're not going to get a social at the most extreme end location data might be leaked and that would be definitely something to worry about but that's going to be true no matter who you go with and that's why you need to be mindful of metadata and again threat model and all that stuff that's kind of how i look at it is there's going to be certain data that's unavoidable without having a phone and of course there's for the record obviously there's things you can do you can leave your phone at home you can you know put it in a faraday bag if you want if you want to be really hardcore you can do stuff like that but generally speaking there's certain data that's just always going to be collected by nature of having a phone regardless of who you go with so i would try to focus on like who doesn't collect that data or who allows you to use pseudonymous data that they don't verify and who's going to have the best security. And that's it for the Q&A this week. Again, if you want to ask us a question, uh, definitely go ahead and check out our Patreon down in the description. This is pretty much like the core way we can keep this podcast going for free every week. So if you want to give back to this podcast and see it live for years on end, that's the way to support us and be able to ask a question. And if you join our Patreon, you can also gain access to our exclusive surveillance support episodes, uh, which we upload uh, over the weekends normally-ish. And those uh, exclusive ones have more commentary and things like that. So yeah, check it all down in the description. And I want to thank all of our patrons who asked us questions this week.